0: what's up everyone welcome back it's me naomi your friendly neighborhood nerd and today we're bringing you a podcast all about breathing yes breathing don't worry i promise i'll make it worth your while i'll throw in some fun stuff about diaphragms co2 oxygen and most importantly boners nose boners yep nose boners so who's with me you ready to get started let's go Oh, hey, fancy seeing you here. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Naomi, your host, and this is Mindful Movement. Where we talk about psychology, fitness, nutrition, and how all of those things are kind of the same thing, but not at all, or rather how they're connected. So let's get to it. I just got done reading James Nestor's book, Breathe, and I thought I would bring you guys all this beautiful information. I've been into breathing and breath for a bit of time now, and I think that this book is so valuable. I will link it in the show notes. Be sure you read it. A lot of the studies I mentioned here and information are all from that book, so all credit goes to him, along with a little bit of my knowledge, but for the most part, this is Mostly information found inside that book and a book review. So be sure to check out James Nestor's book and let's hop into mouth breathing. Okay. Are you a mouth breather? Do you know a mouth breather? Do you know what a mouth breather is? Let's talk about it. Mouth breathing is, well, when you breathe through your mouth. And this has some consequences that aren't exactly the best. Some of them are a little more aesthetic. The jaw drops down, the palate narrows, there's crowding in the teeth, and you kind of lose your chin, which, well, everyone needs a chin, (laughs) I guess. Maybe not. So you lose your chin, your face kind of starts to slope down, and you lose your cheekbones, and your whole entire face just kind of gets really long and oval shaped. If you look at yourself from a side profile, you'll notice that your jaw slopes inwards towards the midline of your body. And it doesn't kind of jut out. You're almost the polar opposite of Jay Leno. (laughs) So if this is you and you cannot breathe through your nose, you might be a mouth breather. Well, you're probably definitely a mouth breather. (laughs) But there's hope. We can train you to breathe through your nose. Hopefully, I can guide you through why it might be a better idea to breathe through your nose. And I hope that by the end of this, oh, you just love noses as much as I do. I might even give you a nose boner. Speaking of nose boners, let's talk about Dr. Harvold. He's a dentist, and in 1981, he published a monkey study. He took a bunch of monkeys with beautiful, perfect, symmetrical faces, beautiful, perfect jaws. They had chins, cheekbones, and nice straight teeth. No, he didn't hunt for perfect monkey faces. This is just something that happens in the animal kingdom. And it's kind of weird that humans need braces and orthodonture. So he thought something was amiss here, and he did an experiment to prove it. He plugged their noses with big silicone plugs, and obviously no air was getting in. As a result, they started breathing through their mouths. Guess what we saw? (sighs) Yes, it's true. They started getting crowded, crooked palates and teeth. Their beautiful chins started to slope in towards their face, and their cheekbones kind of sank away. The broadening through the face was gone, and... They were breathing through the mouth. We also saw the tongue get thinner and the overall health of the monkeys seemed to suffer. At the end of the experiment, they eventually removed the nose plugs and with enough time, Harvard's monkeys did recover. Their teeth even went back to how they were before. The broadening in the face came back, the cheekbones, the chin... And good-looking monkeys all over again. So, what can we learn from this? How does this apply to us? And does it even matter? Of course it matters. Why else would I be talking about it? Join me on this journey while we learn why your nose is the superior breathing mechanism. The nose, the glorious, glorious nose. Admit it, raise your hand if, don't raise your hand if you're driving, but raise your hand if you have ever taken your poor little nose for granted he's a good guy give him a little pat you know boop him tell him you like him so why are noses important noses are incredible they are lined with the same tissue that covers the clitoris the penis and the nipples so what does that mean they're meant to engorge with blood this allows us to go through something called nasal cycles. But first, let us talk about nose boners. The glorious nose boner, where, when one is turned on, their nasal passages engorge with blood, their nose becomes stiff, hence the boner part. And if you're really lucky, you'll start sneezing uncontrollably. <laughs> And that means you've been diagnosed with honeymoon rhinitis, in which the poor sufferers of this condition, every time they are turned on or aroused, their nose engorges with blood so much that it begins to tickle them and they sneeze uncontrollably. For the rest of us that we get nose boners and we do not sneeze, your nose just you know gets a little more boop boop stiff and more erect, if you may, more powerful. Yes, you learned something new today. You're welcome. Are nose boners even good for anything? Well, a form of nose boner is, it's not really called a nose boner, it is a nasal cycle. So the purpose of the tissue in your nostrils swelling with blood is so that you can cycle left nostril, right nostril, and you're really only ever using one at a time and let me share something with you guys i realize every time i've checked because you know right now you're breathing like which nostril am i using i'm always using the right one what what left hello you are slacking he's got some work to do some self-improvement work overall your right and left nasal passages act like an hvac system controlling temperature and blood pressure Breathing through your right nostril increases the heart rate, circulation speeds up, and your body gets hotter. It activates the sympathetic nervous system and feeds more blood to the left side of the brain. The left side of the brain is the logical side of the brain. So what does that mean for breathing through the left nostril? That one is connected to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and relaxation. It lowers your heart rate, lowers your blood pressure, blood pressure and it feeds the right side of the brain, which is responsible for art and creativity. There was even a case of this woman who was suffering from insane paranoia, and the doctors found that she was breathing exclusively through the right side of the nose, so they trained her to breathe through the left side, and they said that she calmed down, her anxiety went away, and she was no longer paranoid. Take that for what you may, but I do think it's interesting to note. So you might be asking yourself, how do we breathe anyways? Well, let me teach you a little something about your diaphragm and the thoracic pump. Okay. The thoracic pump, who is he? Do I know him? Is he interesting? Do I care about him? Yeah, you do. The thoracic pump helps control circulation of blood via pressure in the heart. The diaphragm is kind of the boss of this whole pump, and it basically moves up and down to create pressures in your thoracic cavity and change the pressures in your heart. This causes a sort of pump effect. Think about it for a minute. So as you inhale through the nose, Via the diaphragm pulling down, this creates a lower pressure and an expansion in the lungs, lowering right atrial pressure and thus facilitating venous return. Exhalation via the diaphragm pulling down, squeezing on the lungs, venous return decreases, pulmonary blood vessels shrink, pushing more blood to the left atrium. Thus, a cute little pump. What happens when... We don't use our diaphragm properly, yikes. Like, well, most of us. (laughs) That means we kind of have a weak thoracic pump, which over time puts pressure on the heart, which is, that's just not fair. The heart shouldn't have to do everything, guys. Over time, the little heart, he gets so stressed out. Oh, he can't do it. He has to pump so hard and so fast. Because the diaphragm isn't helping creating those pressures. And that stresses the body out over time. The heart gets tired. The blood pressure increases. And we get some wear and tear on our good old cardiac muscle. Not good. Not good. All from breathing. Wrong. Breathing wrong. Stresses our heart out. Do it for your heart, you know? So here you are. You've realized... That you need to help your heart and he's stressed out. So you're like, okay, I can prioritize breathing properly. And you just try to take bigger, deeper breaths. Done. Did it. Check it off the list. Boom. Mm, No. Most people are making these very common mistakes. People often shrug the shoulders up and almost flex the back open to breathe. So they kind of perk open that chest and make it really big. This can cause really shallow breaths and... A shallow breath really only activates 40 to 50% of the diaphragm, and this places unnecessary strain on the heart, causing well those circulatory issues that we talked about. It also flares the rib cage open, which has all these other terrible effects we can talk about later date, later time. But it creates mechanical deficiencies that are not too great for your hips, your shoulders, your neck, your head any of those things. So how do you breathe better? How do you breathe right? Hmm? Better breath starts with awareness. So if you can, and you're not driving, take a minute, sit on the floor, cross-legged in a chair that's comfortable for you, lay on your back, whatever feels good. I'm going to have you place one hand over your heart and one hand over your low belly. Now, you're going to take a conscious inhale through your nose, nice and deep. You're going to expand through your diaphragm. So your diaphragm is going to pull down towards your low belly. Just notice what's going on here. Take a small pause and exhale through your mouth very slowly. Now, we're going to do this again, but I want you to bring awareness to the bottom hand, the hand that is on your low belly i want you to breathe in nice and slow through your nostrils again and feel and try to get that bottom hand to rise before your chest rises or your top hand you're now going to exhale very slowly not forcibly nice and slow through your nose good now how do you feel Did you notice the chest rising and falling? Did you notice the belly rising and falling? Do your shoulders kind of creep up by your ears? Does your chest move and nothing else? Do you feel like you're breathing heavily, too deeply, too shallow? Just notice what's going on here. You may notice if you're a chest breather that your chest is almost puffing open and closed instead of your belly pulling down and up down and up your diaphragm kind of slings across your entire rib cage on the bottom like a big web it sits above the liver and it really creates pressure sucks up like we talked about and relaxes and moves down to create that pressure so diaphragmatic breathing is the best place to start to learn to breathe properly but you want to think about pulling the low ribs broad and open through the low belly as you breathe in. As you breathe out, exhale that air and really squeeze, 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 squeeze the low belly. Pull the diaphragm up, up, up. Push on those lungs and please don't hyperventilate. Okay. Realistically, as long as you keep it nice and slow and you don't panic, you should be just fine. Now, all of this conscious breathing might have you breathing a little bit slower when you breathe a little bit slower that means you're taking in more carbon dioxide or rather breathing out less that makes more sense there's 100 times more carbon dioxide in our body than oxygen that's freaking right 100 times more carbon dioxide in our body than oxygen and while i'm not going to get into it just yet give me a few minutes this Carbon dioxide molecule is the key to how we oxygenate our cells. It's really freaking important. And too much oxygen via heavy breathing means that we're breathing out too much carbon dioxide. In short, we are over-breathing. Not only do we overeat, we over-breathe. And you're probably thinking, Naomi, what do you mean overbreathe? I mean you're over-breathing. <laughs> there is a magic number of inhales and exhales per minute. That number falls right between five and six. We've seen this in people who are really healthy and live a really long time. Believe it or not, we take around 25,000 inhales and exhales per day. There's even some belief by old school yogis that we only have so many breaths. So breathing slower means we'll live longer. Take that again for what you may. So, how come we have more CO2 than oxygen? That goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, that CO2 is really important to how oxygen gets in the cells. As we inhale through our nose or through our mouth, preferably through our nose, our breath travels down and it's split into our right and left lungs. It's pushed down into our alveoli. These are those little cells that are kind of branched off. They have a ton of surface area, but they don't take up a lot of space. Think of a sponge. The alveoli transfer the oxygen to red blood cells, which contain little rooms for the oxygen called hemoglobin. This hemoglobin houses oxygen molecules. The red blood cells travel through your bloodstream, and that perfuses into your tissues. Once it reaches your tissues, they allow oxygen off and carbon dioxide on. A sort of molecule swap. Once filled with CO2, the red blood cells will head back to the lungs and will make the trip all over again. This is important to know because everyone's always focused on oxygen. Oh, breathe more, breathe deep. But we can't utilize that oxygen if we don't have the CO2 to perfuse the oxygen. Taking in extra oxygen doesn't do much. You just kind of breathe extra dry oxygen back out. You need the CO2 to be able to swap. Remember the molecule swap? Because oxygen and carbon dioxide exist in homeostasis, they need to be in the proper balance. If there is no CO2 to help offload oxygen, the tissues can't use it. Like I said before, you just breathe out the extra oxygen. Slower breathing means a better balance of O2 and CO2. If you guys have ever seen Wim Hof or even a free diver or when you're a little kid, how they teach you to hold your breath is you do this sequence of inhales and exhales to build up CO2 and oxygen in the blood and then you hold it. Some people might notice tingling, headaches, ear ringing, all that fun stuff. That's all just symptoms of higher levels of CO2 that you're probably not used to. But in having those higher levels of CO2, you're actually causing more oxygen to perfuse the tissues. Don't get it twisted. Oxygen is important, but CO2 is just as important. This is really highly misunderstood. And I think that it's really important to note for us to gain an understanding of our breathing and why it's not just about oxygen. If you remember in the early 2000s, it was really cool to sit at an oxygen bar. You weren't perfusing any of the oxygen, so it was kind of useless. Now that we understand the importance of carbon dioxide, we can talk about breathing less and some of the ways and the theories around breathing less since that has a lot to do with CO2. Constantine Buteyko is the developer of Buteco Breathing, but there's lots of methods that include this breathing less method. This is just the one that I'm choosing to talk about. And I believe James Nestor did a really good job in the book or his book, Breathe, talking about it. So, Konstantin Buteyko was a pulmonaut born in 1923. He later attended medical school, and in his time there treating patients, he found that they often had shallow, frequent breaths. In other words, they were breathing too much. It seemed like the sicker the patient, the worse the breathing pattern, or the more they were over-breathing. They often had high blood pressure, a condition in which Buteyko suffered from himself. When he was 29, he had a systolic BP of 212, and the doctors only gave him a year to live. It gave him debilitating, Headaches, heart pain, and he could really feel the effects of his high blood pressure. For reference, the ideal range for your systolic BP is 120. Again, his was 212. No medications really seemed to help, so he began to experiment on himself. Taking his observations from unwell patients, seeming that they overbreathed, he tried to breathe less. He also noticed that he was breathing from his mouth, so he closed his mouth, did a small experiment, and started breathing less. He noticed that his headache went away, and his chest pain also went away. And then he returned to his normal breathing pattern, and the pain returned within five breaths. He hypothesized that hypertension was not the cause of heavy breathing, but instead heavy breathing was the cause of his hypertension. Heart disease is, after all, a circulatory disorder. As we learned earlier, the thoracic pump, via breath, controls how hard and how fast our heart pumps. Make sense? Now, before I talk about asthma, I want to preface this with, I don't have asthma, I've never had asthma… But when I was a kid, I remember sitting in the doctor's office, reading a pamphlet about asthma, and I remember it stating on there that we didn't really know a lot about its causes, and there's lots of theories around it. The one that I'm explaining right now as a solution to asthma or a way to ease the symptoms, it's just a theory. Take it with a grain of salt. If you do have asthma, I do recommend that you try it so long as you feel safe. But let's dive in. So Bottega believes so strongly in breathing less that he even said asthma was just a symptom of having low levels of CO2. The airways begin to close as the body's reflex and its way to try to regulate slower or breathing less. Makes sense, right? Airways constrict, that gets less oxygen and breath down to the body. And that's our body's only real way of controlling how we can breathe less. So that was a theory he had, and it was a little wonky, a little off the walls, and for that and a few other reasons, most of his methods have basically been dismissed by modern medicine. I still think his breathing method is completely worth a shot, and there are a few researchers still studying breathing less, whether it be Buteyko's methods or a similar breathing method, but what they all have in common is that breathing less is the foundation of the method no one really knows why breathing less is so effective in treating asthma but it definitely seems to help in treating asthma and other respiratory issues one theory states that breathing too much means expelling too much co2 this in turn makes our blood ph more alkaline and moves us out of our sweet spot or our blood ph of 7.4 which is where most cellular processes take place The body will do anything it can to regulate the blood pH, even releasing bicarbonate via the kidneys in a process called buffering. Too much buffering over time depletes the body of essential minerals like magnesium, potassium, phosphorus. Does that make sense? So where do you guys think minerals are stored in the body? One of those main places are bones. And in buffering, our body also releases all of these important minerals along with it to be able to release the bicarbonate. So just another reason why we need to get in as much magnesium as possible, because this in theory means that we can breathe ourselves into osteoporosis and an increased risk of bone fractures. And it really puts us at a very high risk of decreased levels of magnesium, which just in general can wreak havoc on our bodies. I'm an advocate for eating as much natural magnesium as you can taking epsom salt baths those of you who do not know epsom salt is just magnesium and supplementing if you need to i personally supplement but long story short you can breathe yourself into a mineral deficiency and those minerals come from our bones and everybody needs bones if you didn't have bones you would just be a big lump and no one wants to be a big lump all right everybody this episode has been probably very content heavy so i'm gonna cut this one pretty short under 30 minutes i'm gonna call this a part one join me for part two as we go a little more in depth about airways and why chewing soft food really sets us up for failure and how that's connected to breath. And we'll dive deep into different breathing methods. I think that will be fun. Unless everyone hates this episode, then maybe I won't make a part two, but I'm probably gonna do whatever I want. So thank you for joining me today. I love and appreciate you all. Have a beautiful today, and we'll see you next time.